All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> My name's Eric, and I am a pastor at Alpine Church. I'm glad to be here with you guys today, and we're starting this new series <clears throat> called Anxious for Nothing. Now, I used to, you know, kind of pride myself in a person that didn't worry too much or wasn't anxious. I, I honestly felt that about myself for a long time. I thought, I'm not an anxious person. I have nothing to worry about. I've got such big faith. I trust God in everything. Uh, but as, as life goes on and as I study the Bible and as um, I got into this series, I started to realize I think I'm more of an anxious person uh, than I want to admit. You know, see, in my, my job as a pastor, um, I have a lot of things that come up as worries or cares and concerns and stress, uh, and I, I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me or bad for me in any way. I love my job, but as many, you guys probably feel the same thing. You know, you have, you know, your bosses, you've got employees, you've got relationships, you've got customer struggles. I mean, we all have this anxiety that comes from the world that we live in and the problems that are a part of this world. Um, it was funny, recently I wanted to escape for a little while, have a vacation, been going through a lot of stress. And so we ended up uh, getting a VRBO in, in Lake Tahoe, you know, a couple of weeks ago and hadn't had a vacation all year and, and my family and I, we just love, that's like one of the things, one of our values is that we save up every year to be able to go on vacations and <clears throat> to have time together, to get away from everything for a while and I was going through a lot of stress uh, at work and wanting a, a reprieve, and so we go to this awesome place in uh, Lake Tahoe, but we're a little cheap, so I didn't, you know, splurge on the really, really awesome, nice place. I wanted to find a good deal, and that in and of itself was stressful, you know, just constantly, you know, surfing the phone, trying to find the best deal, the best deal, the best deal. Me and my wife are like, She's wanting to plan way far ahead, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more spontaneous, and so I'm just like, no, there's a new one that popped up. Let's do this one. She's like, well, I thought we had already decided on this one, and I'm causing her all kinds of anxiety because I'm wanting to change my mind, right? You know, we get anxiety from decision-making, and so we get out there, and it's, it's a really nice place but a little bit weird, you know, <laughs> like the living room um, has, has just like, it's almost like these monuments. This guy's been traveling all over the world, and so he's got like Buddha statues and a, a Egyptian god and goddess statues all throughout the living room, and just it's, it's a little bit eccentric, and, and then you go downstairs, and there's two hallways dedicated to family photos, and there's like 40 or so photos, and when you walk through, these lights come on, you know, that, and the kids are sleeping downstairs, you know, down there in this, this place where these lights come on with all the family photos, and they're like, Dad, it's creepy, and I'm like, I know, just, just close your eyes and don't move, you know, and fall asleep. <laughs> and every time I'd go down, so it was, it was interesting, you know, and I, I'm not going to say, I don't know the guy's name, I'm not really ragging on the guy, but we're staying at this place, and we get on his TV, and we get on his Netflix account that had been open, and looked like he'd been watching that Dahmer documentary for the last 10 seasons, and we're like, you know, I'm going to sleep, and we're just wondering, you ever seen, you know, a scary movie about going into the woods, you know, like staying at a, a house in the woods, and 
you're just kind of worried that people are going to come get you or whatever. And so we're going to sleep, and I'm, I'm having the hardest time sleeping because I feel like i got to protect my family, you know. It's supposed to be a restful trip to take away my anxiety. But I'm getting up at every sound. Every sound, I'm getting up, and I only could fall asleep because I was so tired, but every couple hours, I'd get up, I'd go check on the kids, come back. And I just share that story because it's, it's, it's funny how much anxiety robs our joy. It robs our peace. It robs our rest. And as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, we should be uh, exemplified by our joy, by our peace, by our trust in Jesus, by our understanding that God's got our back, that the creator of the world is for us, and that we don't need to worry. But sadly, we still struggle with worry on a daily basis. This whole world is set up as a, as a, a way to get people worried. I was just scrolling my, my news feed. You know, everybody has that, that place on their phone probably where they swipe left and it's a news feed. And it's just every other story is, is there to cause you to worry, to worry about the future, worry about what's going on in other countries, worrying about, you know, a recall on some bad food and shampoo. I just saw one. You know, good thing I don't use shampoo, but um, that's because, you know, washing, I've found that there's a great way to, you know, wash your hair without shampoo. It doesn't dry your scalp out as bad. That's why. I still bathe in stuff, just so you guys know. <laughs> um, but we're talking about this, this anxiety, this anxiety, and I, I hope during this series that you feel like maybe you can get some reprieve from your own anxiety. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not here to give you a prescription of, of some kind of medication that's going to relieve you of that, but I believe the Bible gives us a prescription of faith to be able to deal with our anxiety. We're going to be looking at the key verse that talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a famous verse, by the way. I heard that when people read their Bible on the Kindle, this is the most highlighted Bible verse on Kindle, which is interesting because there's a lot of other famous verses, but it really shows that people, especially people that are on their devices often reading things, probably are highlighting this one the most because people want to figure out, how do I get past anxiety? How do I overcome anxiety? This is Paul saying, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Now, I want to point out what this isn't saying. Because while anxiety and worry will turn into a sin, it doesn't mean that you can't care and have concern for things. You should have concern for things in your life. As a matter of fact, Paul, the same guy who wrote this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, as he talks about his ministry um, 
with the churches. In 1128, it says, Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. In another translation, in the ESV, it says, My anxieties for all the churches. Paul was a church planter, and he wanted it to succeed. He wanted people to grow in the faith and to, to know the Lord Jesus. And he had this anxiety in him, and it was this care, the same word, for anxious there is worry, but it can also be translated as careful or being caring. And so some anxiety is actually good for you because it shows your concern. Again, Paul, in this same book that we're reading, Philippians 2.20, he tells the Philippians he wants to send them Timothy. And it says this in verse 20, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. Um, And he goes on, and he says in verse 20, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. That's the same word for anxiety. He cares about your welfare. And then again in verse 28, He says, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. So there is a good part of anxiety or caring, right? Certainly we should be caring. We don't get to, if if, if we're going to say today, you should never be anxious, that doesn't mean you shouldn't care that you shouldn't have concern. You don't get to just say, okay, God's going to figure this all out. I'm just going to sit on the couch and not worry about anything. If God's, God's going to figure out my financial situation, I don't need to get up and go get a job. He's going to figure it out. No, we're not saying that you can't be careful in your life and that you can't have concern and, and use wisdom. God wants you to have care for people and care for how you live this life. So we don't get to be indifferent, but yet anxiety, when it causes your faith to be small, that's what I think we're talking about today. This is what this verse is saying. When, when your worry becomes so great that Jesus becomes lesser in your life, that's when it becomes a sin. When when worrying causes you to jump into action before actually starting to pray, that's when it starts to become a sin. So today we want to try to figure out, me with all of us here today, try to figure out how do we overcome our, our faith being weak sometimes and us jumping into action because of our fear and not trusting God. Because if you realize that anxiety and worry comes from little faith and our, our impatience in God, we have to ask ourselves, so what is the prescription to overcoming anxiety? Now, I realize also there's, there's the possibility for certain chemical imbalances that lead to a greater degree or a a greater disposition of being anxious. But I'm not a doctor here today. I am a preacher of the Word of God, and I believe that through the Word of God we'll be able to understand the will of God in our lives concerning anxiety. So let's talk about how we can see the opposite of worry and anxiety is peace or comes through our trusting in Jesus, and we have peace from that. Let's talk about then what worry really is. What is the definition? I pulled this this definition 
from uh, the Bible Exposition Commentary by Warren Wiersbe, and it says this. What is worry? The Greek word translated anxious or careful, as I said, in Philippians 4, 6, means to be pulled in different directions. Our hope pulls us in one direction, and our fears pull us in the opposite direction, and we are pulled apart. The Old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. If you have ever really worried, you know how it does strangle a person. In fact, worry has definite physical consequences. Headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, even our coordination. How many know that to be true? That anxiety affects even your physical life. I love how he, he, he defined this, though, as be, because oftentimes in my own life, I have to make a lot of serious decisions and a lot of decisions as the leader of my household and as the leader of a church. I have to make a lot of decisions that are not only going to affect me, but they're going to affect a lot of people. And so with that comes a little bit of concern, and sometimes I venture into the anxiety part of having to make decisions, and I'm like, you know, we should do this or this, or what happens if I make this decision? Oh, this is going to hurt this person, or that person's going to be mad at me, and so I got to figure this all out, right? I think you all probably think the same things in your own lives, these having to make decisions, and we're pulled so many dif different directions, we just feel pulled apart during anxiety. Or I love that the other meaning to strangle Sometimes anxiety can almost strangle you, like what you can't breathe, you can't think, you can't act, you can't make a decision because of anxiety. There was recently an issue happened at my church in Riverdale, you know, uh, several weeks ago. So I go on that vacation, and I, I also had preached at a couple different churches, so I haven't been in my church for a while, and... Um, so my leaders call me and they tell me about this, this interesting woman that had been attending the last three weeks. And they said that, you know, she was, she was a homeless woman and uh, there was just a, a, a really bad, you know, stench, um, which we should have compassion for. And so they tried to care for her, right? They tried to offer her food. They tried to get her a hotel. They tried to do so many things and she just kept, kept, saying no to everything. She didn't want any help. She actually had said she felt like she was, she was there to, to deliver a message. And she was there to deliver a message. And every time she would talk to someone, she was creating all this kinds of confusion. And, and that's the thing I got from multiple people as I'd been gone for several weeks. All this confusion. And this is on, you know, right on the, you know, right after our spiritual warfare series. And as they're telling me this, I know that God is not a God of confusion, but Satan likes to use certain things and, and people sometimes to create confusion in the church. And so as they're telling me this, I'm concerned for her, but yet I'm like, so how am I going to deal with this? Because I've got to have compassion, but yet I also got to protect the church. And so I'm, I'm having anxiety about this. And I know that I'm coming back this next week and I'm going to preach and and. And so I'm just going to have to deal with this issue. So I get, we get to church, and, and uh, you know, after the second service, you know, she makes a beeline right to me and wants to tell me, you know, her vision and, you know, this message. And, you know, we're trying to reason with her and talk with her, and she won't 
really be reasonable and it's just being really confusing and and she's she's sitting there telling me all this and I'm literally having physical anxiety you know because I'm trying to help her understand that you know she wasn't called to come and and give us a message but yet that it's biblical for her to sit under the authority of a, a mentor or someone when you come to a church if you feel like you want to be a leader first you must be a follower you know first you must be someone who's humble enough to submit and and she's you know saying all this stuff and it was causing so much anxiety in me i was literally hard to breathe i'm i'm bent over like this and and she gets you know she gets emotional my wife's getting emotional and it was just the craziest situation i can't even fully describe to you cuz it made zero sense but it was causing so much anxiety that i was experiencing this you know all these emotions were going through my mind and and it was it was scary for a moment eventually eventually you know our uh, a team of people decided i said they said, do you want us to, you know, because she wouldn't leave at the end of the day, wanted to set up shop in, in the mom's room. And so they're like, do you want us to call Riverdale PD and have her ID'd? Because another thing that we were worried about is that she looked younger than 18 and thought she was possibly a runaway. And, you know, there were all kinds of implications floating in our minds about how, you know, how to deal with this. And finally, I just said, you guys need to make the decision. I can't do it you make the decision about this. And they made a decision and called Riverdale PD and they ID'd her and talked to her and then they gave her a ride and um, she hasn't been back since. And we've prayed for her several times. But I, I share that story again because this, as me thinking that I wasn't that anxious of a person, I'm starting to realize that I do also struggle with anxiety from time to time in certain situations. And... I think the, the reason is because I sometimes forget this whole prescription from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, that I, won't, I sometimes don't run to God in prayer, and sometimes I don't trust God, and sometimes I am worried so much because I think that I can be in control. We're going to talk about the, the anxiety of control next week, so come back for that, but... First, I want to go through this peace cycle from Philippians 4, 6 that would hopefully help us get past anxiety. If we deal with anxiety, we can deal with a whole host of other sins that come from anxiety. A lot of things come from our anxiety. We act in so many ways that are opposed or were the wrong decision because of anxiety. And if we can deal with this, we can deal with a lot of struggles in our lives. Let's go back to this verse, um, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Again, I want to highlight this first part. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. We're going to break that apart because that's kind of the, the thing, you know, the prescription here, the peace cycle. Don't worry about anything. I want to handle that first, and I want to back up to the, the sentence right before it. It says, the Lord is at hand, don't be anxious about anything. Brothers and sisters, when you're reading your Bible, don't think about the numbers. <laughs> the numbers weren't there when the original manuscripts were written. Always go look at the context, you know, because this is one of those, I'll admit it, Philippians 4 is like a coffee mug verse, you know, or a Hallmark card verse. You've seen it, you've heard it, it's on t-shirts, 
and you've probably, you know, never really delved into it. But if we go into the context of these verses, we can better understand what is Paul saying? The Lord is at hand, don't be anxious. Now, at hand actually means near. That can mean two things. It can mean spatially near, like he's close to us. The Bible says he is near to the brokenhearted. Okay, so, so, and Jesus says he is with us to the end of the age. So Jesus is God with us. He is with us and near us, beside us, walking with us in our pain. So we can also, we can take that, but this could also mean time. If the Lord is at hand, it means Jesus is coming back one day, soon. He's at hand And so all the worries and all the struggles that you think about on the day-to-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis, one one day all of that's going to be dealt with. And the Bible says near. The Bible says soon. We don't have to worry that this pain and this struggle is going to be going on forever. There is an end to all of this. And Jesus has promised that he's going to come and set all things new and make all things right. So we don't have to live in worry because Jesus is near. He is at hand. So that, first and foremost, is an important doctrine. You know, the coming back, the second coming of Jesus should take away some of our fear and worry, understanding Jesus is going to come. You know, the, the end of the Bible says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Some of us should be praying, come soon, Lord, come soon, because some of this stuff that we have to deal with Lord, seeing this this evil hurts my heart. It's a struggle. So he talks about don't worry about anything because the Lord's at hand. Overthrow our worry. That's the first part of the cycle. Get, Get rid of worry because we trust in Jesus. Now the problem with, like I said... When, when trials and tribulations and sorrows and troubles come up in our lives, it really does prove where our faith is at. If we start to automatically worry and get concerned and we try to figure out how to fix every problem rather than wait on the Lord, it really shows us that although we say that we believe in Jesus, we think he's a very small Jesus. Maybe he's as small as the the cross necklace that you or I wear sometimes. Like he's the little trinket that sometimes when I'm in trouble, I'm going to hopefully rub it like a a rabbit's foot, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm sorry to be harsh about that, brothers and sisters, but sometimes our faith is revealed when trouble and trial comes up. But we have to understand that God is big. If we're going to overthrow worry, we got to understand that God is huge. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. There are, there are not things that happen that God doesn't know about or hasn't decreed or already planned on happening. And I look, I was all week, I'm like, what's a great sovereignty of God verse that God's in control? And there's so many, so many verses that explain that. But I came to one you might not be familiar with, which is in Proverbs 16.33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now, a lot today could be like dice. You know, the NLT says it this way, we roll the dice, but the Lord causes how they fall. We make decisions. We're allowed to make decisions. We're given freedom and authority to make decisions. We are accountable for our decisions. But at the end of the day, it all is somehow going to be turned towards God's plan 
and God's decision. Just imagine that for a moment. Every time you roll dice, you know, hopefully you're not in Vegas or, or Mesquite this weekend, you know, next weekend being like, hey, he said the Lord. Well, hopefully the Lord rolls it every time the number that you don't want <laughs> so you don't get addicted. But think about it. Every time you roll the dice, you think it's random, but God is even in control of those numbers that fall on that dice. How is that? Because God is bigger than you could even imagine. You know, one of my favorite verses, uh, Matthew 10, it says this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You see, we worry about people all the time hurting us. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, what is this verse telling us? This verse is saying, don't fear people, fear the Lord. The Lord is God over hell, not some evil entity who's the ruler over hell. God is ultimately in control, even of all evil and evil beings. He is Lord over hell. He's also the Lord over his creation, over sparrows. Sparrows, two sparrows are sold for a penny. What it's saying is they're not worth a lot. Now, you know, don't, don't hurt me, bird lovers, you know, in PETA. You know, animals are very valuable, okay? But what he is saying is, is that sparrows don't amount to the value and worth of a human being. Okay, there, there is a, an order in which God has created things. He created animals, and he loves them. We should love them. But human beings are of way greater value than animals. Although some of you probably love your animals more than you love certain human beings. He's saying when a, when a, when a bird falls to the ground, the father knows about it. There isn't a bird who drops down after its long life of joy of, of flying and soaring through the air that eventually grows old and dies, or if it's attacked by another larger bird or animal, that God didn't already fully know about and already preordained to actually happen. That's what this is saying. Look at your other translations. Some of them explain it even better. But then it even goes on to say, I've even controlled the amount of hairs on your head. So if you have a problem with how many hairs are on your head, take it up with the Lord, all right? But he knows all of this, right? God is big. God is sovereign. None of the things that happen in our lives catch him off guard. The Bible also says we cannot add a single hour to our lives by worrying. So if, there's, if, if we worry about insignificant little things, um, to try to extend our life even by one hour and we can't do it, then why would we worry about bigger things? Why are we worried about anything at all when, when measured up against such an immense God who is our Father, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today? So overthrow worry is the first. And then he says, instead, pray about everything. I'll tell you this, this is one of the things that I'm guilty about is, like I said earlier, when, when something pops up in my life 
I wish it was my first reaction to just drop down and pray, but it isn't. It isn't all the time. I, I, we need to grow in this. I need to get better at this. But have you ever heard people say through a tough time that they've tried everything, they've done all the actions and all the work, and then they're finally exhausted, and then they get home, and, and they say, yeah, you know, honey, all we can do now is pray. That's all we have left to do. I've done everything. And so maybe, hopefully, now God might do something. Is that a picture of faith? Is that a great billboard for Christianity that we, we run and worry and scurry about all over around and try to solve all these different problems? And then we say, okay, well, none of that's worked. I'll go to my last resort, which is God, rather than my first resort. And the beauty of, of going to God in prayer, every time I go to God in prayer, even in this morning, anxious about this anxiety sermon and I go to God, and I'm, I'm praying about things that I need, and, and I'm like, you know, trying. I've got my mind. See, here's the thing. Our minds think that we have it all right in our brains. We've got all these arguments as to why we're right, and our truth is the best truth. And so then we go to God, who is, who is the truth, who is the, the creator of truth, and, there, and he is always truthful. And we try to talk to him about what we believe to be true, and it starts to melt away. It starts to melt away. I can't be dishonest in front of a truthful God. <laughs> I eventually start telling the truth. Okay, God, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I was a little bit overreacting. Maybe I'm not trusting in you. Maybe you're trying to teach me something. We can't debate God in prayer. But when we, when we don't go to God in prayer, again, it extends our worry. I want to go to the third thing. Tell God what you need. So in this passage, it says, instead of pray about everything, you know, um, in another translation, it says, pray about everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. So there are three words for prayer in this, this verse, supplication and requests, and the NLT has kind of translated it Tell God what you need. Now, supplication is telling God what you need immediately. This is like God just like crying out, I need you. I need you now. Maybe you don't have a ton of words to say, but you're just saying, Lord, here's my problem. Solve it. I can't say anything beyond that because I'm so anxious. But there's also this other way of praying that is verbalizing and being specific about your prayers. Being specific about the anxieties and the cares and the worries and the thoughts that you're having. You say, Lord, I'm so scared if I make this decision, this, this, and this might happen, and I just want you to know that well, that's what's going on in my mind. And we start to get specific about the things that we want God to do and that we're worried about. And when we do that, it's not as if God didn't already know because he knows everything that's going on. But somehow, God is teaching us that when we're specific in our prayer, this is going to work out our anxiety. It's going to work out our anxiety when we verbally, I'm a verbal processor, by the way. Not all people are, but, you know, sometimes, this gets me in trouble a lot, because I haven't fully formulated my thoughts, and then I'll get into long discussions, sometimes with my wife, sometimes with other people, and I'm just... I'm just like throwing things out there because when I hear it, it like bounces back. I'm like, no, that wasn't right, you know. And I'm sure people like me frustrate a lot of you, you know. People who 
have too many words and not enough thought. But I do believe there is something to verbalizing, being specific, and processing with God. And ultimately, we don't have to be afraid that he's looking down at us like, oh man, you're, you're an idiot. Can't believe you're saying that to me. No, God is a good God. It reminds me of uh, 1 Peter 5, how good he is. He cares for us. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. He is good. The Bible says he's trying to work out all things for my good. And so why wouldn't I, instead of running and trying to solve everything on my own, stop, hit my knees, or whatever it is that you do in prayer, you don't have to stop and fold your hands and close your eyes and bow your head. It doesn't even say that in the Bible. But talk to God and ultimately realize that sometimes when we're going through something, matter of fact, most of the time, if not all times that we're going through something, God is trying to teach us something. Will we submit to him and humble ourselves in this and ask in that prayer? That's one of the things I've learned how to do is when I'm going through a trial, I'm not going to immediately reject it, but, but say, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? Please, God, show me quick so I don't have to go through this pain so much longer. But Lord, what is it that you want to tell me? Because ultimately, I know that you're good. You're not going to let this be my demise, but you are trying to teach me something. And at the proper time, you will lift me up. That's what exalting means. Maybe I'm, I'm low in my trial, but at the proper time through humility, he is going to lift us up one day out of that trial. We can cast all of our cares and anxieties on God. He wants to hear about them. He wants you to verbalize them. He wants you to be specific about them. Here's what the the last part of the peace cycle says, and then it ends with, thank him for all he has done. We need to start practicing some joy and contentment. You know that Jesus told us in this world you will have trouble. Sometimes we just need to accept that there's trouble. Sometimes we need to understand that even though there is trouble out there, God has been good to me. All the things that I have and possess, all my talents, abilities, and gifts, my career, the things God has saved me from, the addictions he's brought me out of, the the relationships he's healed in my life, the good things that God has done, we must constantly remind ourselves about those because we become like, you know, unthankful. We Unthankful children. You know when, doesn't it bother you? We're coming up into the season of Thanksgiving and then Christmas and, you know, on kids' birthdays or whatever, you, you spend so much time on this gift. And you were thinking it out. You spent all kinds of money. It took uh, like a couple days wages to pay for something. And you give it to them and they're like, oh, wow. They're excited at first, hopefully sometimes. And then a couple days later, they've forgot about it. A year later, it's in the corner or under the bed or broken because they didn't really take care of it. And doesn't that bother you? But that is, hopefully, God is doing that as a picture for your own ingratitude, for the gifts that he's given you and you've put under the bed or put in the corner or you broke or you haven't taken care of. 
Sometimes we're forgetful of all the things that God has done. And if you go back and you read a lot of the Psalms in the Bible and our worship songs and, and our praise, we, we are to remember all the good things that God has done. We get too familiar with the gospel, forgetting that the greatest thing that he did for us was come and take care of our sin problem so we're not going to spend eternity in hell. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins because we can't seem to follow God. We're broken. We were born with this sinful nature, and we reject God. We want to go our own way, and the Bible says that is punishable by death, to not follow the king, to not trust in the Lord. But God says, I love you too much. I'm not going to let you die in your sins, so I'm going to come down as a man, and grow up to die on a cross, and that when you trust in the Son, you can be forgiven of all your sins. That is the greatest gift God has ever given, and sometimes it's like people get sick of hearing that or something. I will never get sick of hearing the gospel, and I hope you do not either, beloved church, because the gospel is everything to us. The whole God, the Bible is Almost on every page is a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his goodness to us. We can't get too familiar with Jesus and the gospel. We must always be in awe and wonder of what he's done for us. Here's a great verse, I think, that sums this whole thing up. Paul, in, in writing a letter to the, Thessalon the Thessalonians, he says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thank in, thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's like he compounds it. Rejoice, that's like to have joy and to praise God and give thanks. Pray without ceasing, that means to live with God, to walk with God, to talk with God. Did you know that your sin problem from the beginning since Adam and Eve, it's been a problem that the world can get at you with anxiety. And now, but the greatest anxiety that all humanity has is that we don't have a right relationship with God. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked with God. They had communion with God. They were in constant contact with God. But when sin came into the world, it broke that relationship, that contact that they had with God, and now we're born into the same thing. And so, of course, we have anxiety, and we're born to be so anxious and worry about everything because the greatest person and the greatest thing that could give us peace, we don't have communion and fellowship with all the time. And so that's what it means. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean constantly be in prayer like a monk and never actually go and do anything. It means to live a lifestyle of God, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, is with you every day, all the time. You can talk to him all the time because the death of Jesus on the cross restored that relationship. You and I can have communion with God now and forever. We can talk to him. And hopefully he'll remind us of all the things that Christ has said that we can be thankful for. And this is the will of God for you. What is God's will? That you are joyful, thankful, and you're in constant communion with God forever. That is God's will for you and for me. And when we learn how to do that, our anxiety will decrease and eventually fade away forever. Let's go back to our verse, second half. When you do all that, 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What is this peace? I want this peace. Cry out today. I know you're thinking this in your heart and your mind. I want this peace. Well, one thing we can understand is that when we've made our relationship right with God by trusting in Jesus, we have that peace. First and foremost, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry anymore. We have the great creator, Father Almighty, who is our father, and we are sons and daughters of the great king who is in control of all things. Now, sometimes you will, you and I, we're going to go through things that cause a little bit of anxiousness and concern, and sometimes we should be concerned and have care and be careful. But ultimately, this verse is saying, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And it says that will guard your heart and mind. That will, the gospel will guard your heart and mind. Our heart and our mind. Our heart is our inner man, where our emotions come from. And our mind is where our thoughts come from. Think about where anxiety comes from. It comes from the heart and from the mind when we're not resting in the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the Lord Jesus be your peace, and then your hearts will be guarded and your minds will be guarded so that you no longer have to struggle with anxiety. Remember, go to the Lord God, be in communion with him, talk to him, be specific, and rest in what Jesus has already done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. You, you continue to amaze me over and over and over again. As we look into your word, God, you, you continue to expound on your love for us, your will for our lives, and, and sometimes, Lord, we so stubbornly and blindly and pridefully don't want to hear that, and we walk away from it. It seems like it's so easy. It's right in front of us. For believers, you're right inside of us. This word that you've gave, given to us is so easily accessible, but yet we continue to trust in ourselves. Father, forgive us for that. Help us to leave here today learning how to follow you, to be more disciplined in trusting you and believing in such a big and great and loving God. If there are people here today that want this anxiety gone and they want this peace, Father, I pray that you would help their minds and their hearts understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.